my background is actually in interior design and architecture. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in interior design from Drexel University in Philadelphia. It was during my very last semester of college that I took a sculpture class and kind of realized that that was what I wanted to do, specifically because the professor introduced me to conceptual art for the first time in a way that like really clicked with me. But I was just about to graduate. So, you know, I got my degree and I moved to New York City and I worked at an architectural firm for a few years. Uh, Started taking kind of community art classes at night after work and making art in my spare time. And that passion just like kind of grew over time and never went away. So eventually I made it my goal to go to graduate school and build, I had to, you know, obviously build a portfolio to get in. Yeah. So for a few years I worked in New York and then I quit that job and moved to Portland, Oregon and continued building my portfolio and then went to Alfred University in upstate New York for grad school. And I think um, because of that background in design and architecture, that really kind of informs the kind of work that I make. It's really conceptual, but it's also very collaborative. And in a way, I kind of work as like a project manager. Like I envision the work that I want to make and I do a lot of drawings and work on the design aspects of it. And then Sometimes I fabricate it myself, but oftentimes I'm working with fabricators to help me realize different aspects of the project. And I always have like assistants working with me in my studio as well, especially now that my work is like such large scale. So I think my comfort level in working with lots of people to make a big project happen kind of comes from that experience of being a designer and working with architects and general contractors and engineers and things like that. So when you were building your grad school portfolio, what type of sculpture were you putting out and working on when you were finding your way? Well, I've always been very conceptual. So, you know, I would come up with ideas for things that I could make without access to any facilities or kind of very very much knowledge at all about different sculptural processes. For example, one project I did really early on in my career was called All My Clothes. And I made drawings of literally every single clothing item that I owned at the time, um, just using pencil and colored pencil on paper. And then I hung all of those, like I think it was close to 400 drawings on the wall in the gallery. And then Along with that, I actually tied all my clothes together into like a big bundle, hung that on the wall along with the drawings. So while the exhibition was up, I like didn't actually have any of my own clothes and I had to borrow clothes from friends and I wore a burlap sack to the opening. <laughs> so it kind of ties back to that collaborative process, borrowing clothes from friends to make the exhibition happen. I love yeah. that. So I was watching your TED Talk and you talk a lot about how you're working in signs now. I was really interested in that all you see is past. I love that sign. So that sign was made originally for an opportunity I had in Philadelphia. A curator commissioned me to create a neon sign for an existing steel structure on a rooftop of a vacant building. And that building has was in like a neighborhood that was rapidly gentrifying. So as I was like brainstorming for that project, I thought a lot about how the neighborhood was evolving and how that building was either slated to be demolished or slated for like totally being refurbished and turned into like fancy apartments. 
But simultaneously, I was also, I read a lot of books like about time as a way of like finding inspiration and kind of finding snippets of text that I can use in my signs. And so at that time, I was reading about the way that light travels across space and time and how everything we're seeing is in the past. And there are these things called light cones that kind of describe, it's like an illustration that describes the way that we experience time in space. That reading, it was a book called From Eternity to Here, kind of like influenced me to come up with the text for that sign, as well as like the actual context of where the sign was going to be located and what was happening in that area of the world. My upbringing kind of informs my work as a whole in terms of like the way I um, generally, I think, like have a very optimistic view of the world and my work tends to be really optimistic and like existential in nature, you know. Another thing I'm trying to focus on and learn about through this podcast is how public artists are using technology in their practice. Mm. So I know your work is a lot of like text-based, but also light-based. And then I have to experience the Color Factory exhibition where it's touch so how did you get started kind of working on these larger scale installations and especially working in the technology? Have you learned something along the way? Or I know you said you work with collaborators. My interest in technology comes from my my interest in time, ultimately, and always looking for ways that I can make work that changes over time, that is time-based in nature. And so, like, even when I do something as simple as a neon sign, rarely do I ever make something that's totally static. I use, like, the capability of it to flash on and off to allow it to change from one message to another and ultimately change over time. Even when I was living in, I think it was when, right after I left my job in New York in architecture and moved to Portland, Oregon, to really focus more on my portfolio for grad school, I took, I was always taking, like, community arts classes to try to learn different uh, technical information that I could incorporate into the work I was doing. And so in Oregon, I took a class called electronics for artists because I was always really interested in like, you know, turning things on and off or making things move. I've always been really um, fascinated by like kinetic sculpture and I've dabbled in that a bunch. So yeah, so that actually was like a really early interest of mine. And then I think like pretty quickly I learned that in order to make anything move, I had to like be an engineer or have access to like machinist type of tools in order to make things super well so that the machine that I was making as a kinetic sculpture would actually function properly. So I kind of like put those interests down for a while, but like kinetics and programming are something that I've always been interested in. And then when I get opportunities like the color factory that has a larger budget, I actually have enough money to like hire people that know what they're doing and that can help me build things correctly. So so that's what I did in that case is uh, hired a programmer from TXRX Labs um, to help me and my collaborator, James Akers, like program that entire installation because it has like over 300 individually programmed lights, you know, that kind of have different patterns and algorithms so that the experience feels unique to every person. Um, so it's really complex. I could never have done that. 
on my own, you know? But yeah, so for me, the technology aspect is really about the time-based, you know, making something that's time-based or making something that, yeah, in that case, the color factory, like, has a different result every time. Um, I've also seen one of your kinetic sculptures. I think it's now when it, like, rotates. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That kind of stuff. And back to the technology and arts class that you took in Portland, what kind of technology did you learn there? I ultimately like didn't learn very much <laughs> because it was only like, you know, a couple days long or a week long, or I can't even remember what it was, but I remember just being like, whoa, you know, this is really complicated and I'll continue to explore it. But I remember just feeling like I'll never become an expert in this similar in the way that I'll, I kind of never, I decided very early on that I wasn't even going to try my hand at bending glass to make neon because I knew how much time I was going to have to invest in that in order to be able to become the expert that I would have needed to be to do my own fabricating. So so I've, I just kind of never even tried neon myself. And I've always just decided that I would work with other people who, who are neon artists, rely on their expertise and, you know, hours and hours of practice. So, yeah, I think if anything, like I, like in that electronics for artists class, I was just kind of like exposed to po- the possibilities of the, those mediums without and and realizing that like I was never going to be able to really become the expert in them myself, you know. But I think like knowing what knowing what's possible allows you to kind of like imagine have other ideas, you know, that you would not have had otherwise. So, so yeah, so learning about those things kind of like helps me um, have ideas for new projects. And then you mentioned a little bit on algorithms and coding and things like that. Mm-hmm. How much of that are you familiar with and how much of that do you outsource? Um, I, the thing that I can do is like, I learned at some point, I think in grad school, how to program an Arduino microcontroller and, um, which is like a really simple program that comes with a lot of like example codes that you can just really easily alter to, you know, turn something on and off at the speed that you want or make something rotate at the speed that you want, you know, um, or, like having an input and output. So like a motion sensor or a proximity sensor affects things in this way. Um, so I've worked with that that level of programming where I don't have to write code from scratch or do anything super complicated, but I can I know my way around the Arduino and that software well enough to like program my own flasher for neon flashing on and off like that now sculpture that rotates uses an arduino to help slow down the the rotation ever so slightly like when the word forms so yeah i know a little bit but yeah ultimately if i ever do anything more complicated than like a blinking (laughs) i will probably you know hire someone to help me with it I mean, I think it's so cool. All of that just goes right over my head. So the fact that you're able to even control like the speeds of the flashing or the rotations, like it takes a level of skill and knowledge. Also just coming up with the ideas. That's always Um, the hardest part of being an artist, right? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) I think so. Yeah. But I admire artists who work in a more kind of intuitive 
process-based mode, you know? And so um, I'll let you go in just a second, but I wanted to see what you're working on now. What's coming up next for you? What are you thinking about lately? Um, well, I have been getting a lot of opportunities to kind of propose public art projects um, and new neon signs. So I've been working a lot on proposals lately for things. I'm really, I have a, a couple of solo shows coming up next year um, for which I really I want to go back to kind of like exploring and experimenting with materials, physical materials, and kind of put the neon sign making down for a little while. Um, so I think the public art, I'll continue to be invited to do neon signs for public art opportunities. But um, in terms of work for galleries, I was really inspired by a trip that I took a year ago to Scotland for a TED conference where I gave that talk, actually. It was in Edinburgh, and we did a little side trip to a place called Sicker Point, which is considered like the birthplace of modern geology because it's where this guy, James Hutton, like kind of saw these ripple marks in the rock that allowed him to realize that the earth was much older than what people thought at that time, like millions of years versus thousands. And so I've been ever since like having that experience of learning about that history of geology and then reading some books about geology, I've been really inspired to like do projects that involve like rock carving or working with other physical materials, like almost kind of looking at the spectrum of the way time manifests itself physically from like cut flowers, which have a really short lifespan, obviously. And then, you know, carved rocks, which could last for centuries or more. And then, yeah, kind of exploring how to give time like physical forms. That is so exciting. I can't wait to see <laughs> how this manifests. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about Area 3 and your installation you have with Aurora. Mm -hmm, Can you mm -hmm. tell me about that? I haven't had a chance to see it in person yet. Sure. So, yeah, so that show, you know, the Aurora staff had this idea to create an exhibition that was um, safe to view during the pandemic. So they came up with this idea of doing an exhibition in a parking garage that people could drive through mm -hmm. and they made it all happen really quickly. So they like found the parking garage and they told artists, like we had maybe two weeks or less to come up with a proposal. And then maybe two weeks or less to actually like execute the installation after that. Cause I think I heard from Joshua King who runs Aurora like in August and then the exhibition opened on October 1st. So it was all really fast. Um, but so for that installation, I created a series of curtains out of ribbon, satin ribbon that cars can drive through like, they're in a car wash. And then I used theater lights with like custom laser cut gobos to project text onto the curtains. So the text doesn't actually change in this case, the way it does often with my neon signs. So it's just like uh, static light based text on each curtain that you drive through. So 
you kind of like approach the text in your car and you get to read it and then your car drives through it and you leave it behind. And then you do that through a series of like six curtains. And the text is, it's from a quote that I found in a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And it says, um, the future comes from behind our backs. The past recedes before our eyes. There is no beginning. There is no end. So yeah, in that case, I definitely, like, I think the Aurora curators thought I would just do like a neon sign for that show, but I really, you know, like I said, I'm trying to put the neon work down for a little while and explore other ways of working with like physical materials and maybe still with light, but not necessarily in the same way. So um, that was really fun for me. It felt like kind of a first step in this new direction I want to go. It seems really interesting to the friends that have gone and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I really want to see because it's such an interesting experience being able to drive through something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the way that the, the ribbon kind of like drags over the windshield of your car and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I love any way you can interact with art and excited to see these carvings. I'll keep an eye out. Oh, yeah, we'll see. The, I've been trying to get grants to do the rock carving work because... Not only do I have to like buy the rock, but I have to hire someone to carve it since that's not obviously something I could do myself. So I've applied for a few grants and haven't been successful yet. So I'm just kind of waiting for the for the money to come in in order to be able to do that work. It'll yeah. come. I'll keep my fingers crossed. For you. Okay. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I will let you go. And I hope you have a good Thanksgiving and a happy holiday season. All right. Thank you. You too. 